Let's now open God's holy word together. This morning we begin in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. That can be found on page 832 of your pew Bibles. In our text this morning, we'll be focusing on the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll see in that passage the Holy Spirit coming upon our Savior, and that's spoken of in many places in the Old Testament prophets, and this is one of those places where we see this foreshadowing of the anointing of our Savior. So read together Isaiah 42, the verses 1 through 9. This is the word of our God. Behold, my servant whom I uphold. My elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So far from Isaiah, let's also turn ahead to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. And as I mentioned, our text will be specifically Jesus' baptism, the verses 13 through 17. But I'd like to also read with you the verses leading up to those. And so we'll read Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and reading to the end of the chapter. Hear then the word of our God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then begins our text for this morning. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So far our reading of Holy Scripture this morning. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, we've learned a few things about our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were to read through chapters 1 and 2, you'd know by now that Jesus Christ is the coming King of the Jews. He is the Messiah who was meant to come and save the people of Israel. And up to this point as well, you'd know that Jesus Christ was also the Savior of his people. The angel had told Joseph, that he was to name this young boy Jesus because he would save their people from their sins. And so we know these things already from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And at this point, we're, we're kind of ready to see Jesus himself. We're ready to see him come onto the scene. We want him to bring that salvation which he has promised his people. And you can be sure that the people of Israel were feeling the very same way. John the Baptist had come with this baptism of repentance, but he was always pointing ahead to the one to come. He said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. John was preparing them for the coming of the Christ, and they were ready to see him. And now finally in our text this morning, in Matthew 3.13, we see Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. So here he is. Here is the king. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Savior. Let's see what he's come to do. And we see the first thing that he does in our text this morning is not what you might expect. He comes to John and he asks John to baptize him. Why would he do that? 
John himself had said that Jesus was greater than he was. Why would Jesus need to be baptized by John? Well, this morning we hope to see that Jesus Christ, in being baptized by John, he's declaring his purpose. You could say in a sense that he's accepting his call from his heavenly Father. And further, in his baptism, our Lord Jesus Christ is also strengthened. He's approved by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. He's strengthened and approved for that task which lay ahead of him, the task in which he would redeem a people from their sin. And so our theme this morning is this, Jesus is affirmed as your Savior through his baptism. And we'll see three points the request for his baptism, the result of his baptism, and then finally, the response to his baptism. <clears throat> now, it really shouldn't surprise us, brothers and sisters, that John the Baptist was strongly opposed to this idea that he was to baptize Jesus. After all, we read in the verses leading up to our text that John came preaching a baptism of repentance. And if you look in chapter 3, verse 6, all the people are coming out to John and they're confessing their sins to him. They confess sins and then are baptized, receiving that sign of cleansing. But of course, John the Baptist, he already knows enough about the Lord Jesus Christ to know that he has no sin. John the Baptist knows that our Lord's birth was holy. He knows that Jesus Christ has no sins to confess. And so he's working hard to prevent Jesus from being baptized by him. The sense of our text is that John is repeatedly telling Jesus, no, no, I, you, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. That's what he says in verse 14. In congregation, of course, John's instincts were completely correct. We too know with all of our hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ was and is sinless. He was born holy. Never in his life did he ever commit sin against any of the commands of God. And scripture makes this clear to us as well. The Apostle Peter, speaking in 1 Peter 2, verse 22, says of Jesus Christ, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And also the Apostle John, in 1 John 3, verse 5, tells us, You know he appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. Jesus Christ is perfect. Jesus is holy. John the Baptist, together with all of us here this morning, we really need the baptism of Jesus Christ. And even Jesus himself, in his response to John, he kind of acknowledges that what John is saying is true, at least implicitly. Because if you read our text, Jesus doesn't tell John that he's wrong. He doesn't suggest that John's opposition to his baptism is completely off the mark. No, what does Jesus say in our text in verse 15? He says to John, permit it to be so now. Just let it be so this one time, John. At this particular point in history, at this particular time, 
in the history of the redemption of the people of God, it is appropriate for Jesus to be baptized by John. Why? Well, Jesus goes on and he tells John, because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, we know this term righteousness, especially when it's used in the Gospel of Matthew, it's referring to the righteousness that comes from obeying the will of God, obeying the law of God. You think of what Jesus himself says in verse, or chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus there on the Sermon of the Mount says that whoever breaks one of these least commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And forward one chapter to chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus speaking about giving to the needy. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men. And so in both these texts, we can see that this idea of righteousness, it's closely linked to the keeping of the commands and the will of God. And so in Jesus' baptism, in some way, Jesus is fulfilling the will of God. He's obeying his Father. He's keeping the commands of God. But still we ask ourselves, how exactly is he doing that? What is it about Jesus being baptized by John, which is fitting, which leads to this fulfilling of righteousness? Well, we can consider two ways this morning in which his baptism fulfills all righteousness. So first, we know already that Jesus was without sin. But even though he was without sin, his baptism by John clearly demonstrated his desire to serve God, to do the will of God in his life. Yes, we know the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance, and of course Jesus had no need to actually confess his sins, but remember that repentance, it has two parts. On the one hand, repentance is a confession of your sin, a turning away from your sin. But on the other hand, repentance is a turning towards God, a striving to do the will of God, a desire to again live for God. And this is certainly true of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the very bottom of his heart, from the depths of his being, it was the will of Jesus Christ to fulfill the will of his Father. We sang about that in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, David, prophesying about our Lord Jesus Christ, says of him, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And when Jesus was baptized by John, he was indicating that he was ready to serve God with his whole heart. He was ready to commit his entire life to the service of his heavenly Father. 
And so that's the first way that Jesus' baptism fulfills all righteousness. And we can think of a second way as well. And that second way is we see our Lord Jesus Christ in his baptism by John already now is starting to identify himself with sinners. Already here in this baptism, he's taking his place among the very people whom he would redeem from their sins. And of course, that's directly connected with Jesus' desire to do the will of his heavenly Father. Because if you ask yourself for a moment, what was the will of God for his son Jesus Christ? Why did God desire Jesus to come to this earth? Well, God's will for Jesus Christ was that he would humble himself, even to the point of death on a cross, that he might save all those who turned to him in repentance. Even all those people who were coming out to John to be baptized by him, Jesus had come to redeem those very people. Those people who were confessing their sins to John were the people that Jesus had come to bear the penalty of their sin. And through his baptism, Jesus Christ already in some way is beginning to identify himself with those people. He's putting himself in that group of sinners. He's acknowledging his place among them. He's showing himself to be that friend of tax collectors, the friend of sinners. And as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, he is being numbered among the transgressors. Why is he doing this? Well, it's because our Lord Jesus Christ delights to do the will of his heavenly Father. He delights to be obedient even to the point of death, humbling himself so that he might be our Savior. And how wonderful is in that congregation when we see Jesus Christ, the very first thing he does when he makes any sort of public appearance, he doesn't come with mighty signs and wonders. What does he do? He comes and he acknowledges from the very beginning that he has come not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He's come to be our Savior. He's affirming that he has come to do the will of God to save his people. And we can see, too, the love of Jesus Christ in this moment. Jesus Christ, amidst all those crowds of people being baptized by John, he's right there with them. He's right in the midst of it, acknowledging his place with them, acknowledging that he is ready, that he is prepared to take the sins of these penitent people upon himself. <clears throat> and this gives us great confidence as well, congregation. Confidence in our own lives of repentance. We can be sure that Jesus is our Savior we can be sure that when we turn away from sin and turn towards God, we can be sure that Christ is our Savior because he's demonstrated that he's come to do exactly that. Just as he delighted in those, those people, just as he was a friend of, of those who confessed their sins, those coming to John, so our Savior delights in you when you come in confession 
when you turn away from sin and turn to God as your Savior. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what he delights to do, to number himself among the transgressors that he might save you. When we confess our sins and when we seek to live that life of repentance, we can know with confidence that we are cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because though he knew no sin, he was made to be sin so that in Jesus Christ we could become the very righteousness of God. And so we come then to our second point, the result of his baptism. And the result of Jesus' baptism, it's both immediate and it's majestic. We see the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descends, comes to rest upon Jesus Christ. Having been baptized by John, immediately Jesus Christ is then anointed. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And again, in this anointing, we see a clear and a loud affirmation that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We see that he's the one chosen by God. Baptisms like this also often happened in the Old Testament. That God often chose a certain person and appointed him for that task through an anointing by the Holy Spirit. You think, for example, of the 70 elders which God chose to assist Moses in bearing the burden of the people. The story is found in Numbers 11. God selects these 70 men. They come before the tabernacle. And what happens? The Spirit of God descends on them. They begin to prophesy. God shows that he has chosen these men for their special calling. And, of course, you can think of King David. David, too, he's anointed by the prophet Samuel. And as it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says there, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Jesus Christ, having the Spirit of God descending on him, is a clear signal and affirmation that he is the chosen one of God, that he is God's chosen Messiah, the one who had come to save his people from their sins. But of course, we can be much more specific than that because the Old Testament, in many places, speaks to the specific anointing of Jesus Christ with the Spirit. We read but one of those passages from Isaiah 42. It said in Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. You can think of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel and might, and on and on it goes. And so we see that Jesus Christ is this shoot from the stump of Jesse. 
Jesus Christ is the servant of the Lord who came to proclaim good news. And having affirmed his own desire to fulfill the will of God in his life, Jesus Christ is an anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's set apart, he's affirmed, he's even strengthened for his task as our Savior, empowered for his ministry. And maybe that sounds a little bit surprising at first. Why would our Lord Jesus Christ need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God? Isn't Jesus God himself? Doesn't he have a divine nature already? What else could our Savior possibly need for his ministry? Would this anointing by the Spirit really make that much of a difference for him? Well, brothers and sisters, as curious as that might seem, Scripture makes it very clear that our Lord Jesus Christ carried out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you were to look at the passage immediately following ours, in Matthew 4, verse 1, we read there that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You can think of Matthew 12, Jesus pointing out the error, the foolishness of the Pharisees. He says to them, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you. We can think too of Peter's account of the baptism of Jesus in Acts chapter 10. The Apostle Peter says there that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so we see that Jesus Christ, the chosen, the appointed Savior of his people, is also blessed with this anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's empowered in such a way that he is able to fulfill his role as our Savior. All throughout his ministry, Jesus was blessed with this special working of the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure, brothers and sisters, that also as Jesus drew to the end of his ministry, that time when he experienced the greatest suffering and anguish in body and soul, Jesus was able to remain resolute in his task. He remained committed to his task as our Savior, he was able to do the will of God because God had anointed him with the Holy Spirit. He had been blessed, set apart, and strengthened in his task. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, troubled in soul, even to the point of death. And you remember this, brothers and sisters. He fell on his face before his heavenly Father no less than three times, asking that that cup could pass from him. And yet he prayed. He prayed to his father, not my will, but your will be done. Christ was strengthened by the Spirit of God that he might fulfill the will of God and that he might achieve our salvation. We come then to our third point, the response to his baptism. Having been baptized, having been anointed, we now see God the Father himself 
adding his loving word of approval to his beloved son. And here again in our text, we can see, congregation, how all the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are completely involved and totally committed to our salvation. Here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, all three members are clearly present. Jesus is there, the Spirit is there, the Father is there. They're all doing their part from the very beginning to save a people for themselves, a people lost and dead in their sins, a people who can do nothing but rely on the grace of God, which he has shown in Jesus Christ the Savior. And what God the Father actually says from heaven, again, it leaves us with no doubt about who this Jesus is and what he came to do. What does our Father say? A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again, this verse is a close, close echo of what we read from in Isaiah 42. God, through his prophet Isaiah, said there, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Isaiah only saw this faint shadow of a servant whom God delighted in. And now here in our text this morning, we see Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is that servant, the servant that God delights in, his beloved Son. The servant upon whom the Spirit would rest, the servant who would proclaim the news, who would suffer and die for his people, who would be numbered among the transgressors. This is the Son that the Father loves dearly. And it was, of course, the suffering and the sacrifice of Christ which was such an integral part to the love of the Father for the Son. Jesus tells us in John 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. The Father loves his Son because of the perfect obedience of his Son. The Father loves the Son because Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness which was necessary for our salvation. And it's this love of the Father for the Son which also shows us the love that God has for each and every one of us. If it was the will of God to give his own well-beloved Son for our salvation, if it was God's will to send Jesus Christ to suffer and die in our place, then what does that say about the love of the Father for each and every one of us? Every one of us who looks to God and who seeks our salvation in Christ. Well, think of what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Speaking of the Father, it says that in love, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. God sent his own beloved son into this world because he also loved his chosen ones. 
He sent his beloved son into this world because he loved his people, because he loves people like you and me, who though we've sinned and rebelled against him, yet he loved us to the point of adopting us to be his own children through Jesus Christ, his beloved son. And we see this love of the Father also shown in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ loves us as the Father loves us. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And in Galatians 2 as well, the Apostle Paul says that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we see congregation, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is for us in every possible way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all working and active in our salvation. They're all ensuring that we are saved from our sins. And as Jesus Christ makes his first public appearance by the Jordan River, being baptized by John, we see this put on display before our eyes. Jesus Christ, the willing, the obedient Son of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, and loved by his Heavenly Father, all for our salvation. And so how do we respond to such a marvelous gift of grace How do you respond to a God who has given himself in every possible way for your salvation? Well, congregation, let us humble ourselves before this awesome God. We are not worthy of this salvation. We are not deserving of this salvation. But God has given it to us as a most wonderful gift of his grace. And having humbled ourselves, let us love God in return. Let us show that love by living that life of repentance, confessing your sins, acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior, and striving with all of your being to love God because he so first loved us. A love which he has shown in Jesus Christ, affirming in his baptism that he is his own beloved son, affirming that he's the anointed and chosen of God, affirming that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen.